but but that's interesting because Sun Tzu Miao is called the king of medicine. He's given a very high level. He was also into Nedan. Some people would say he was a hermit, but he was massively involved in politics, if you like. He served at the court as well as refusing to serve at the court. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological, the podcast that curates East Asian medicine and methods through the power of conversation. I recently read a delightful book on the art of possibility by Benjamin Zander and his wife, Rosamund. He's an orchestra conductor. She's a psychotherapist. Now, I'm not a musician, and so perhaps I have a skewed idea of what a conductor does other than dress in nice tuxedos and wave their arms with emotional passion. I imagine that there is a perfect way to play a piece of music, a technical proficiency like that of a fine Swiss watch. Classical music in particular, I imagined to be more of an enterprise of technique, like a surgeon navigating with a scalpel. What this book pointed out that I'd missed, although in my bones I think I already knew, is that there is a spirit of people coming together in a moment of creation, working together with everything they bring and aiming all that creative energy at an idea that was in the mind of the composer. There is a story about Stravinsky that when a violinist told him that a difficult passage in a violin concerto was virtually unplayable, Stravinsky is supposed to have said, I don't want the sound of someone playing this passage. I want the sound of someone trying to play it. This so perfectly fits with my experience of practicing medicine. There is a technical perfection that I'm aiming at, and for sure there are times I've firmly got my hands around it. But there are moments, and plenty of them, when I'm struggling to play the passage. I suspect it is those moments that show me my true metal. It's those moments at the edge of the map when I have to more astutely pay attention. Because I'm in the midst of learning something new, and there is enough uncertainty that my attention slows and widens in the presence of the question, what is this? I suspect we all want to see doctors who can quickly and assuredly say, I know what this is, and I know how to treat it. And I would further venture a guess that we'd like to be that kind of practitioner as well. But I keep coming back to that phrase. I'm looking for the sound of someone who's trying to play this passage. That is what I want to aim at. Whatever ability I might have to be in that frame of mind, that is what I want to cultivate into my work. Alchemy is a curious way of looking at the process of change. It looks both at container and the transformation that occurs within that container. As I think about alchemy, it is rather like Chinese medicine in that we consider the structure, attend to the function, and also put our attention on the interaction of both. In this conversation with Peter Firebrace, we look at how alchemy is a key aspect of change, how restoring what's been forgotten 
leads to profound transformation and returning to source and simplicity. Sounds simple, but it's not to be confused with being easy. We'll get into all of this and more in a moment. Stay with us. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of this solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash geological to learn how. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Pumsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. 
If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app slash switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code Geological at the time of sign-up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Welcome to Shop Talk. In this portion of the podcast, we are bringing you roughly 15 minutes of practical clinical methods, perspectives, and advice that has its work boots on. This section is all about practical material that you can begin to investigate the next time that you walk into clinic. Additionally, visit the show notes page for supporting materials from this week's guest on Shop Talk. All right, roll up your sleeves. Let's get to work. Hello, Shop Talk fans. My name is Brenda Hood, and today I'd like to talk a little bit about zongful organs and channels and vessels. First of all, I'd like to point out that the anatomy of Chinese medicine is extremely different than that of Western medicine. Um, and unfortunately, much of our understanding of Chinese medicine has in ways both subtle and overt been co-opted by Western biomedical understandings of the body. And I think that we need to understand that this has taken away from our ability to actually fluently use Chinese medicine as a true medical practice. This is not to say that there are not people out there who are amazing at what they do with Chinese herbs Chinese Toina and Chinese acupuncture, as well as other related modalities. It's just that if we don't go back to learning how to think like the people who created the system to begin with, then there's huge sections of things in Chinese medicine that seem to be a complete mystery and don't seem to make any sense at all. The upshot of that in the West has very much been the scrabbling around for different modalities to kind of fill in the holes of the things we think that are missing. You know, and it's not to say that it's a bad thing. I think that it's a necessary thing to happen, but I believe that it needs to happen under the auspices of the overarching understanding of actual Chinese medicine theory, whatever it is that you think that is. The situation is complicated, and this is not really the time and place to talk about such a deep and important issue. But I do want to bring up a couple of things. And one of the things that I thought a lot about over the course of the years is the dichotomy between the Zhangfu organs, our understanding of the Zhangfu organs, and the channels and vessel system. Uh, that we usually understand as being the basis of acupuncture. In the Song Dynasty, there was a big schism and a not so much a reorganization as it was a standardization of older theories of Chinese medicine. And a lot of very interesting and important things happened during that time one of which was that Chinese medicine began to move out of the hands of people who were more hands-on practitioners 
to people who were more literati. So in Song Dynasty, a man by the name of Chu Xi, who was um, a Confucian by nature, but who created a whole school of Confucianism called Neo-Confucianism. And one of the important things that he had to say with regards to medicine was that people should learn, or at least men should learn medicine, such that they could look after their parents in their elder years, and that this was a, a very high sign of piliophiety, which in that time was a really big deal. And so the Song Dynasty has been a pivotal point in the transitioning of Chinese medicine from older ways of understanding and doing things into ways that we in the West would consider slightly more modern. The problem is, is that we don't really know much before the Song Dynasty. We have some old texts, but many of the old texts, including the Inner Canons Classic of Medicine, in, they're fragmented. Um, they have been edited, and we don't know what is actually original text and what was added on later. They know for sure that there are two chapters that are missing, one in the Suan and one in the Lingshun. And so we know that it's written by many people over a course of probably a couple of hundred years, maybe more, and then cobbled together. And then in the early part of the Tang Dynasty, it was reformatted again by Wang Wing. And we don't know much more than that. And that's not to say that it's not the canon of Chinese medicine and that it shouldn't be the canon of Chinese medicine, but we need to look beyond some of the things that are said in that and put it in the larger context of Chinese culture and some of the things in Chinese culture which were part and parcel of what might have been in that book and would have been the background understanding. And so I want to talk about two aspects today. The first aspect that I want to talk about is that in the West and in modern China, there is a bit of a bias towards so-called herbal medicine, a bias which began probably in the Song Dynasty. And that bias is that herbal medicine and medicine as practiced by the literati, the Confucians of the time, was somehow more respectable than Chinese medicine that was practiced by the non-literati and people who had more hands-on traditions. This created the schism that Chinese herbal medicine has more respect, even to this day, in mainland China than, say, acupuncturists, an acupuncture which is considered more of a technical skill. And that is not to say that it's exactly the same in North America. I'm just saying that when I was studying there, this is kind of what I saw. And the way that people really seem to treat individuals that were practicing these two modalities of medicine. In the 1950s, a lot of Western medicine got included in Chinese medicine. A lot of Western medicine ideas were used to explain Chinese medicine to the point where a lot of Chinese medicine was abandoned or refuted, um, some of which because it didn't fit Marxist theory. I remember studying in Beijing and in my first book on foundations, they talked about how yin-yang theory was simple dialectical materialism. 
which if you know anything about yin-yang theory or dialectical materialism, you understand is quite amusing and not free at all. Regardless, I just wanted to point out that our present understanding of the anatomy of Chinese medicine from a more global view, from a view of the person as an integrated whole, more than just the Zongfu organs given primacy, but also the Zongfu organs and then the sort of more quote-unquote external system of channels and vessels that then helps to regulate the body within a larger system has fragmented to the point where we kind of stuff things in, trying to say, well, we can use this to explain this. Um, you know, some of the textbooks that I've read translated from the Chinese, some written by Westerners, they like to give a lot of Western biomedical explanations for why certain phenomena in Chinese medicine is so. But, you know, that doesn't actually make a lot of sense. It's like trying to explain Chinese grammar using English and then not understanding that you're still not reading Chinese or understanding the Chinese properly because you're now seeing it through the filter of Western medicine. So let's talk a little bit more concrete. So we know that uh, anatomically, Chinese medicine, anatomically speaking, the Zhangfu organs are the most internal part of the structure of the body. The Zhang organs are the most internal. The Fu organs are slightly external to that. And that is because the Zhang and Fu organs act as a system of integrating outside into inside so that the Fu organs, which are receptive of things coming from the outside for, you know, especially as far as Hu and Breaker are concerned, process. And the Zhang organs, we know according to classical Chinese theory, are areas that store. What do they store? They store essence. They store organ essence. There are three kinds of essence, and I won't get into that right now. One, talk to me, just shoot me an email or ask me at some time in the future as to why there are three essences and why we don't talk about them as much at any rate. And so that's the internal system, not going into specific details of which organ does which. And then we have the channels and vessels. The channels specifically are given the same five-element attribution as the internal organs. And so when we talk about the lung, for example, we know that from Chinese medicine point of view, the lung is a metal organ and that has all of these other implications. But then we talk about the tie-in lung channel, the hand tie-in lung channel. We also say, well, that's also a metal channel. And because its main connection to the inside of the body is routed through the lung, that's not wrong. And it is what it says in the inner canon, but that's not the only thing that it says in the inner canon. In the inner canon, they also talk about earthly branches as well. And so when you talk about the earthly branches, all of a sudden what happens is that the hand tie-in lung channel then becomes yang wood. There's a reversal or a change in the status of the quality of that channel that is not so discussed nowadays. 
a lot of people say that, it, well, you know, we didn't see any historical records on this and blah, blah, and blah, blah. And so it's not classical. But in a way, there actually is classical because they always talked about stems and branches in the same breath. It was always the same. And this idea that there can be a reversal, especially reversal when you go from one level of what's going on within the system to another level is extremely common in Chinese medicine. And we've lost that understanding that this can happen. We've also lost the understanding of the implications of the fact that the Zhang and Fu organs are an internal system to help assimilate outside into becoming self, where the external system is a system that enables an entity to exist within a larger, changeable environment. So if we're talking about the tie-in system, which is the hand tie-in lung and the foot tie-in spleen, that's a system that helps the body to compensate for dampness. And what you begin to see is that that continuous system, sometimes called the same name channel system, sometimes called a one of the confirmations, there's a number of different names. If you have an individual and that individual moves from an area that's, you know, normally humid to an area that's very humid, it is extremely common that after a few years, that person will begin to develop a lot of damp syndromes and we will begin to say, oh, well, their spleen must be weak. When in point of fact, the spleen has probably, in this case, become affected not so much by what's being taken on inside, but what is actually coming in from the outside. Or it might be some combination of these two. But by not considering the implications of how the body is responding to the external environment and its ability to compensate or not, we begin to lose a big piece of what's going on in the human body. The other thing that I would like to mention in this little talk is that not only is that relationship between the channels and the organs not exactly one-to-one -one, and that things change with regard to where in the understanding they're considered to be, where in the physical anatomy, the, the Chinese medicine energetic anatomy they're considered to be, but also the relationship between each of these elements changes considerably. So the channel interactions, the way that the channels work together and how they interact in various forms is extremely complex and is often not really talked about very much when we talk about Chinese medicine theory in school. It's often something that's an addition and add-on. And so, you know, if you just talk about the lung, well, let's consider. So the lung falls in the channel flow clock. That is the clock which goes around the 24-hour clock. If two hours, it changes. And so in some, for some people, I've heard it called the organ clock. I think that's extremely wrong, and that is not how it is referred to in the inner canon. In fact, it is specifically related to the channels and not the organs. And so it's not exactly the same as maybe circadian rhythms or the idea that at this time of day, the liver as an organ is more functional than, um, say, some other organ in the system. It refers to the idea that the Jian 
liver channel is most active or least active at given times of the day. And so when you have this idea of being most active or least active in the tidal flu clock, you begin to get this idea of clock opposites. And that relationship of clock opposites then begins to have significant impact in how you would think about something that was going on with, with the draining liver channel. And so if you have the draining liver channel and at the liver time of day, you begin to see that that channel, which is between one and three in the morning, there's something wrong going on. And then you have to decide, well, is it because the channel is hyperactive? Is it because the channel is hypoactive? I mean, is it, is it in excess or is it deficient? And then what you have to do is figure out, well, if I want to address it, Am I going to get the best results by addressing this directly, or will I get better results by looking at the clock opposite and deciding that I need to tonify or disperse that in order to correct whatever imbalance there is in that particular channel? One of the things that many people who are herbalists and who have only a first or second year understanding of Chinese medicine theory are probably not terribly aware of, but in the Ling Shu chapter 10, there is an entire section. It's all about the channels and the specific issues that can arise when you talk about the channels. And the channels are not talked about just as though they are deficient and excess. In fact, when it talks about it in the channels, a better translation of that first line would be, rather than pathological changes in the channel itself result in blah, 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 a better translation of that would be, if the channel is roused, if somehow it is stimulated, it's, it's though, as though the chi the in the channels has been disturbed in some way, and it is no longer smoothly flowing. And then they go on, to talk about, and if it is in excess, then blah, blah, and if it is deficient, then blah, blah. And so it talks about actually three different stages, not just the two stages that we commonly use to refer to zang and fu organs in the body. And so if we don't understand the differences and the fact that the different interactions between the channels are a very, very important part of Chinese medicine anatomical theory, then we're never going to be able to really get down into what's going on in the body. And we're always going to be at the point of having to turn to other modalities to figure out what's going on in our own medicine. Thank you very much for listening. That's all I have to say for today. Brenda offers mentoring. You can reach out to her at harmonyhealth.ca at gmail.com. Peter Firebrace, welcome to Geological. Thanks a lot, Max. You know, it's so amazing. We've got this medicine that has come down through the centuries, like centuries, and dynasties, and all these different places, and, and now we've got the capacity to talk about it over Ethernet, all over the world. We can be sitting in completely different places, and... Uh, figuring out this stuff that we practice. Yeah, it's a fantastic opportunity for massive further growth. <laughs> no, because, you know, these ideas could go out much faster.
Yeah, it's been millennia, as you say, and it's been you know quite a long, slow, very nice Chinese style, well organized grind. But now the sky's the limit. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe we're like the Tang Dynasty of uh, you know the old times. You know, lots of trade and arts and communication. No, it's very interesting. Of course, it could be a, a multiplication of not the best side of Chinese medicine. That's also a possibility where a lot of things could be lost. But on a positive note, things could be shared much more easily and could be received worldwide. Absolutely. Yeah. And stored. And stored. Exactly. You know, it's not like some bamboo scroll that's getting moldy in some grave. Yeah, but they, a lot of those bamboo scrolls, you know, they lasted a couple of thousand years. You know, they did well. <laughs> What's this recording going to be like in a couple of thousand years? Well, I don't even know what it's going to be in 10 years. I remember when CDs came out and it was like, ooh, the new technology, everything in the world, all the knowledge of the world will be on CDs forever. And then CDs were gone in five years. I know. As a musician, I know. <laughs> it's not funny. <laughs> well, it is funny, actually. You know, we have these plans and we think things are going to go a certain way. And then we get to the future and realize, oh, uh, that was not right. Yes, but a CD was, you know, it, it was something you owned. You had the CD. And so long as you had a machine you could play it on, it was there. It's like a book. You know, if everything goes online, you also have nothing. I know. I rent my music these days. Exactly. That's what I mean. Yeah. But if you can't afford to rent it, then you have no music. Whereas if you have a load of CDs, <laughs> you could keep playing them if you wanted to. But it's, it's another story. Well, it is another story. But, you know, look, I can rent it for less than what I used to pay for one CD. I can rent a month of music for less than what it would cost for one CD. And I used to buy more than one CD a month. And now I've got access to approximately everything for that same price. It, the, the multiplier is amazing. It is amazing. Yeah, you have access to yeah, pretty much all the music that's, that's been recorded. It is amazing, I agree. And, and it was not that long ago that trying to get some information about Chinese medicine in English, that was really hard. Yeah. 40 or 50 years ago, yes. Yeah, sure. Yeah, 40, 50 years is not a long time. No. It's all good. <laughs> the future's not bad. <laughs> anyway, we're here not to talk about the future today, although we might anyway. We're here to talk about alchemy. Alchemy of the organs. I saw that you had a series of classes that you're doing. And I saw the title, Alchemy of the Organs. And you know, I'm one of these kinds of people where I see something and either it doesn't land at all or I don't pay attention or I notice it and I'm like, oh, how can be the organs? That sounds cool. I need to get Peter Firebrace on here. I want to talk about that. It is cool. I agree. And I wonder why more people aren't into it, actually. Especially, you know, thinking a bit about you know, you've refocused me on the whole subject coming to talk to you here. And what I realized is it's certainly for the major teachers, 
it was either a part of Chinese medicine or such a closely allied subject that it was considered, if not essential, then extremely helpful. I'm thinking of Li Shizhen in his book on the eight extraordinary meridians, and Sun Sun Yao, who is the king of medicine for the Chinese. <laughs> so it's interesting. You know, a lot of people who are into Chinese medicine, a lot of colleges, they've probably got a Tai Chi class or a Qigong class. I don't know any college that has a Neidan class. <laughs> Maybe that's because who's going to teach it? I think that that is possibly a problem. Well, you need someone who knows something about that. Yes, but you could say, why don't more people know something about that? Is it because Chinese medicine has only been with us for you know, 50, 60 years or so? Are we just at the beginning? So we don't realize the things that are around it or behind it. Like, like the I Ching, for example, that's another good example. Maybe if, if, if you tested all the practitioners on the eight trigrams, you know, just what, what is this, what is this, what is this? Mm. Just, just write the lines. What, you know, how well would people do on that? Would it be a few esoteric people who would know that three lines is heaven, three yin lines is earth, or, or would it be more? I don't know. But Sun Sun Miao said that you had to, you know, you had to study the I Ching to be a practitioner. If you look at Sun Sun Miao's uh, list, it's a big list of what he thinks people should do before becoming a practitioner. You can find it in Sabina Wilms's book or other translations. It's big. You know, and you're expected to be a well-educated, well-rounded thoughtful, almost introverted person who is thinking about the nature of life as much as about the nature of how to fix your next patient. So it's like if you're going to fix the next patient, then you, you need to have oiled some kind of wheels in there already. So you're in the right state of mind. So it's, it's, it's just strange. It's just strange, I think. Here's something else to consider. You just use that term fixing a patient. We use that term all the time. We fix patients. Do we? Do we actually fix patients? Or do patients re-regulate themselves through whatever interaction is that we're having with them with needles, conversation, herbs, diet, so on? Who's doing the work here? Where's the healing come from? I think it depends what the mode of treatment is. I mean, I, personally, I do acupuncture and uh, massage, for example. And when I'm doing the massage, I do feel I'm doing more <laughs> myself <laughs> than if I'm just putting needles in or if I'm doing some moxa or putting a heat lamp on or just talking I think there's a continuum through all of that. I understand, you know, the tendency now is we don't fix anything, but we facilitate fixation. 
and maybe we do. <laughs> That's a hard thing to say, you know, because I think there are people that I would like to see if I get sick. And unfortunately, there are people that I would rather, it would be hard for me to go and see them, even if they're on the register of acupuncturists or whatever. It's not only that they've done the training. You know, I want some, I don't know what, what it is I'm looking for. I'm, I'm comfortable with the person, more than comfortable. But am I fixing myself? Yeah, ultimately, probably yes. But why couldn't I have done it on my own? Well, that's a really good question. And I think about that a lot. Because if we have that capacity, and, and I think I'm not alone in this, when I talk to patients, I, I tell them that the, that the capacity to get better is within them. And I do believe that. But do you then close the appointment? No, I do not close the appointment because, because while the capacity is within them, and it's like I think we sometimes get lost from ourselves or our body gets confused or we get in these loops or habits or all kinds of things. And so we, we become a bit disconnected from our Zheng Qi, right? Or we get some disturbance with our Wei Qi, or there, there's something going on with the way the organs are talking to each other. They're actually not talking to each other. Maybe they're having an argument. Maybe they're ganging up on another organ system. So what in your view is the role of the practitioner in that then? That's a great question. First of all, something incredibly potent with acupuncture or can be incredibly potent with acupuncture. I agree. Amazing. And it has the capacity to like reinvigorate aspects of, of the body and mind. I hate that word body mind and you know body mind connection. It's not a connection. Like body and mind completely inextricably entangled. It's an entanglement. And so somewhere in that entanglement Things get knotted up, literally knotted up. And we, and we see, you know, jia, right? You see that in the Chinese language. We talk about knotted qi. Yeah, the entanglement gets knotted up. There's something about the acupuncture that brings a kind of stillness. And that stillness, like, reawakens capacities that people already have. And how the practitioner goes about figuring out where to put the needles and what to do with them, you know, it's like... I don't know. We've got our theories. We've got our ways of working. There are certainly systems and, you know, people teaching those systems. And then there's the conglomeration of whatever it is that you put together over the years as a practitioner that, for me, allows me to track where is this person and where am I with this person and what is this person telling me? So I can give you an example. I had a person in yesterday. It came in for shoulder pain. And then very quickly find out, oh, well, there, look, there was a miscarriage recently. And, but it wasn't, it wasn't a, a huge deal. I was like, oh, yeah, you know, sorry to lose you know, a kid, but I'm super fertile. I'll get pregnant again. No big deal. Then you know, a little bit, little bit further in, it's like, and oh, look, there's all this blood stasis. It's all in the lower jowl. And, and just through the conversation from shoulder to who I am and where I've been the past couple of months, you know, just the patient telling me and the various health things, it's like, oh, I see. 
blood stasis in the lower jaw. And, and from a Sa'am acupuncture perspective, uh, it's very easy to have blood stasis and accumulations in, in the lower part of the body, especially for kidney constitution people. And this woman was really kidney constitution. And uh, it's just like, oh, there it is. I think I see it. Some Shreifu Juyutang, some points here. You know, she's probably going to be fine. She'll probably be pregnant again in six months. And it's just, it's like a, I'm going to call it a conversational unfolding. I'm kind of rambling here. Does that answer your question? Well, my question was, what is the practitioner's role? It's a great question, and, and, and I want to answer it. The practitioner's role is to immerse themselves in medicine and then want to be helpful. There's got to be a desire to be helpful to other people. And then a capacity to, to show up and listen and be very comfortable with uncertainty because there's a lot of uncertainty that the patient experiences and the practitioner experiences and to be able to sit with that uncertainty and, and not really and not get tossed away by it, not get thrown away by it, not go into all kind of mentation and abstraction. Oh, I've got this theory, I got that theory. Sit and wait until something, you know, a pattern kind of appears. Not trying to force a pattern onto it. It's more a um a little bit like cooking, you know, you use a certain kind of flame and then you you add some spices and you taste it. Oh, is this what I'm looking for? Oh, no, not salty enough. Let's add some salt. Something like that. Yeah. Because what I was interested in since, since we've gone this way <laughs> is what is a practitioner? What is a practitioner's training? And in the context of this podcast, should it include Nadan alchemy? <laughs> At least in its basic outline, should it include a basic study of the I Ching? I'm not saying it should. I'm saying should it. Mm, I hear your inquiry here, and Sun Tzu Miao would say yes. But, but that's interesting, because Sun Tzu Miao is called the king of medicine. You know, he, he, he's, he's given a very high level. He was also into Nedan. You know, he was a... He was, some people would say he was a hermit, but he was massively involved in politics, if you like. You know, he, he served at the court as well as refusing to serve at the court. He had at least a hundred years life, as far as we can see, maybe much longer. He was an unusual person, very bright mind, very active. And, and this is important, I think, long-lived. And the long life, or we could put it the Chinese way, immortality, is one of the reasons for studying Neidan. Because we're not in Waidan, external alchemy, which may be to create a precious metal or gold or something, we're into what is most precious within a human being, which is to be a conscious, connected, healthy, and I would say helpful person. 
for a long time. And maybe that's a very simple view, but that is certainly part of the study of Nadan. And I think that we already see it partly if there is a Qigong class or if there's Tai Chi class. A lot of the exercises that are done in a way part of that Nadan stream. So it's not like it's all disappeared, but the name doesn't exist at all. You know, is, is there any Chinese medicine acupuncture college out there that's, that has alchemy in its, you know, one of the keynotes in its curriculum? I, th I think not. Hello, everyone. Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of Yang, the primal reservoir of Yang which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel, clearing impedance in the free flow of Yang Qi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancecilsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. Peter, it's increasingly getting to the point where you're not going to find a school with a name like Oriental Medicine or Chinese Medicine. You're going to see schools with names like School of Integrative Medicine. I would say we're, if anything, we're going further afield from gazing more deeply into the tradition that we come from. We're looking more into how can we uh, sort of glue ourselves onto the conventional system with its particular view and integrate with that rather than integrate w with our history and ourselves and our practice. At least that's what I'm seeing. Yeah, it's interesting to hear that. I'm not very familiar with what's going on in the States. You know, I, I teach quite a lot within Europe. So, And some people are very interested in that in Europe as well. I think that is fine so long as the essentials of Chinese medicine, and then we have to discuss what they are, <laughs> are not lost in the process. Yes. And I would say too, Peter, since we're having the discussion, the essentials of Nadan, because we hear a lot about Qigong. Of course, we hear a lot about Tai Chi. Qigong's a big thing these days. Which I think is great. People are actually doing something. And, and, and yeah, I think it's great. Right. But Nadan is different yet again. We're talking about alchemy which I think might even make some people very nervous in our modern world of uh, evidence-based medicine. Alchemy? Like, what are you guys up to? That is so interesting. 
because I remembered something really important <laughs> within the Western tradition, which is that, and because I think not many people know this, but Isaac Newton, yeah, one of the top physicists and scientists, was massively interested in alchemy. And his last unpublished book, that was the topic of it. And he was very interested in alchemy, even though it may be different to the Nadan of the Chinese. But he kept it secret because he didn't want people to know that he was studying it and putting his very clever, genius mind to it. And that's a little bit the same as what you just said. <laughs> Some people from the outside can say, well, what, what's this alchemy doing on a Chinese medicine course? What, what's that got to do with anything? How's that going to help me pass the board exam? Well, you could say the key aspect of alchemy is change. And the key aspect of medicine is change, that they have something very, very strongly link. And the processes of alchemy are not easy, just as the healing of difficult illnesses is also not easy and requires a clear understanding of how life should be because you're trying to restore the patient to what they consider to be them. They've lost them somewhere along the line. And they need help to get back to that. So you just used a really interesting word here. And I want to come back to what we were talking about earlier about fixing people, right? It's what we often say. But you just used the word restore. What we're looking to do is restore. You know, you're asking me about how I think about working. I was trying to come up with a word that I struggled with and you know, ultimately failed. I could talk around it, but you just put your finger right on it. Acupuncture can help to restore people to a capacity that they have. Yeah. Very interesting, because if you look at Nadan, one of the key features of Nadan, the different Chinese terms for it, one is fun, means to return. It's a kind of reversal process. When we live in life in, a, in something going from inside to outside, from yin to yang, from simplicity to complexity, getting all the more differentiated all the time. And the process of Nadan is the opposite of that. It's to go from the outside back to the inside to go from all this um, multiple creations back to the source. It's a return to the source. It's to restore someone back to their connection with the Yuan, with the source. So it's the same process, but you are trying to restore yourself. And the interesting thing with Nadan is that it's not Waidan. Waidan could be with drugs or with uh, potent substances. Nadan, you have absolutely nothing in the pot 
except your own organs and your own Jing, Qi, and Shen. You have only what you have within you. There are no external helpers anywhere, but you can do it with the, the wonder of what is apparently immaterial. That's very Chinese to me. It is very Chinese. The wonder of what's immaterial. Okay. But that's very, very Taoist. You know, Lao Tzu and Chuang Tzu, emptiness, silence. It's always at the top. <laughs> yes, emptiness. Well, you know, before we started rolling some tape today, we were talking about mindfulness. A misnomer. Yes, a misnomer. You went on a little tirade, actually, about mindfulness. Should be mind emptiness. It should be mind emptiness. We're aiming at mind... For Taoists, anyway. For Taoists. Yeah. Okay, for Taoists. Fair enough. Yeah, those Taoists are tricky. There's Taoists are very slippery, aren't they? I think they're very, very clever because they realize that there's nothing better than to be full of emptiness or to be, you know, full of nothing. You know, this search for the Wu, <laughs> which has no form. You know, forget the Tai Chi, go for the Wu Chi. And I, I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Well, you can't. No, you can't. No. But you have brilliant thinkers and writers and teachers like Chuangzi. He's so brilliant in his mind, and he can, he can just take you there in a story. That, to me, that's genius. <laughs> so I want to talk about language just a little bit for a moment, and, and then we'll come back to alchemy. And, and, and I do want to get to alchemy and the organs. We're headed there. We're slowly meandering in that direction. It seems to me, because as humans, by and large, we live within the constructs of language. We live within... We live within words. On occasion, our senses can open in a way and our spirit is open in a way and we can, we can get something of the world that, that comes through and it's not language. It's a different kind of knowing. It doesn't come through our constructs. It's rare, especially the older we get. It's rare. And so it, it seems to me that the words that we use, it's like we have to be cautious with them. And I think a very good example is what we were just talking about here Instead of thinking about mindfulness as a way of getting to emptiness or stillness or quiet, like mind emptiness, like even to have that, that idea of mind emptiness, Peter, that already aims me in a different direction. Yeah, it does. I mean, if you think of the word uh, she in Chinese, you know, you have shu and she, empty and full. The, the full is a kind of pathology. So, mindful? Is that a good thing? I mean, it's a big discussion, you know, what is meditation? I personally, I like the, I like the Zen and the Taoist, which is a kind of Chinese, Japanese, Taoist Buddhism, where you throw away everything material in the end. You know, if you're cold, you sit there and, and you burn the Buddha statue to keep warm. That's anarchistic and um, dangerous to some people. But why? Maybe it's important that you keep warm. Does it matter if the sacred Buddha is burnt or not? 
you know, that the, the Buddha is not in the sacred Buddha. The Buddha in the sacred Buddha is not the Buddha. Well, I think you've just made a koan. <laughs> no, but I mean, although we joke, I, th I think that this aspect of emptiness is so important. And we have problems with language, which you were talking about. And I do it all the time. We're talking about points, acupuncture points. Well, they're not points in Chinese. Shui is a hole. It's a hollow. It's an empty space. You know, and, and the only reason we can live is because we have holes. We have a hole here, we call a mouth, and we have two holes here which let in the air. <laughs> and we have two holes in our ears that let in sound, and we have two holes for the eyes. Without those, there's no beginning to life. It's the emptiness that gives life. Well, it's the emptiness that makes, like, a cup useful for coffee. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's the emptiness that gives the, that allows the fullness of life in. Anyway, as you can see, I've, I've become fixated on emptiness. <laughs> <laughs> You're full of emptiness. Wait a minute. <laughs> well, that's it though, isn't it? That is it. Is that the village idiot or the sage? <laughs> And if you watch those martial arts movies, of which the Chinese just have hundreds, probably thousands, like, you know, America's got so many Westerns, the well-organized soldiers, they always get beaten up by the, the drunken beggar or, you know, the guy who is just picking up vegetables. Well, order is very susceptible to chaos. The point is that these people have trained their whole lives. And it's no problem for them to take on whatever it is, you know, 15 armed soldiers or whatever, because they know what they're doing. And they know what they're doing because they've been doing things like Nadan, even if they wouldn't call it that. They have been honing their abilities and they've reached a level of perfection that most of us absolutely do not have. And they can defend themselves, they can attack seemingly, ins you know, just ridiculous odds. And this is part of the Chinese, Japanese, Eastern tradition. You know, the one against the many. Because the one has been trained so, so well. I mean, we have those stories in the West as well. Yeah, we do. We do, absolutely. We do. It, it, and usually it's, it's not because the one has been trained, but it's because the one has gone off on some hero's journey kind of thing. And actually, they are coming apart at the seams. And that coming apart is, I mean, like the Star Wars is, of course, you know, classic for that, right? It's an old story and... and, and, and you know, in so many places. But yes, there, there's this big unraveling usually that goes with it. So when we come to something like Nadan, first of all, can you give me an idea of what some of those practices are? And given the possibility that if you're really going to do some alchemical change on, on the inside, there's going to be some unraveling that goes on. How do you get through that? Because in all the hero stories that I've come across, there's someone who helps guide you through that unraveling. Something shows up, 
Otherwise, otherwise you're lost. I think that's true. I think you have a teacher. And that's maybe why there's not so much talk of Nadan, because it was maybe only taught to people who had the possibility of reaching the goal, which would not be all of us. You, you need not only the possibility, but the kind of um, focused mindset and a, ability to go through you know, great difficulties and face your weaknesses to take on the hero's journey aspect. So I don't think it's for everyone, although I think it would be nice for everyone to know, A, it exists, <laughs> and B, a lot of the things are not so different from Chinese medicine. I'm studying it f as a practitioner and as, as a human being. But I don't have a teacher, so I'm a novice. I'm the wrong person to ask on your podcast. Although I may be an interesting person because I have an interest, even though I'm not uh, trained. You could surely also find people who are trained. Yes. One of the things I love about doing the podcast, look, sometimes I talk with people highly, highly trained. And sometimes I just, I talk with people, they're in the midst of their process of learning. And, and there's a lot of goodness in that. Look, most of us are starting off the beginning of anything, not knowing much. You, you called yourself a novice. You don't have a teacher. You're a novice. You're, you're at the beginning of the training. There's, there's something that's caught your attention and there's something that you're following. What is that? What caught your attention and what are you following at this point? As a novice, maybe a teacher shows up, but as a novice, What's that path look like? I think I've always been interested in ways of setting myself on a path, and I'm going to use the word full here, <laughs> to become a full human being. <laughs> and I've always had a, an interest in Eastern things, yoga, meditation, as well as Western mystical things as well. I don't know why, but I'm attracted to philosophical ideas and um, especially systems where you follow, you, you follow along, you, you, you train yourself. And that seems to be very important. I mean, to take an easy example, part of the Nadan tradition is what usually seems to be called the microcosmic circuit or the small heavenly cycle. Yeah, I think we all hear about that in our first or second day of Tai Chi class, don't we? Yeah, but that's interesting. You see, I would say that the Nadan is, part of the Nadan is in the Tai Chi class, and it's in the Qigong class, and it may be in any meditation class, not necessarily Chinese, because this microcosmic orbit restores, use that word, <laughs> the fullness of Ren and Dumai as a unit, not as yin on the front, yang on the back, but as one ever-circling circuit. 
And within the part of your training may be to visualize yourself in these particular, what are usually called the nine openings, which are the three Dantian elixir cinnabar fields, the three passes on the spine, the two magpie bridges, I'll come to what they are in a minute, and the vertex. Those are nine key opening points on the, on the body. And in your training, you go from one to the other. And, and you restore something that has been left and forgotten in your daily life. And to restore it, in restoring it, you recapture that ever-circling, deepest yin-yang core central flux, getting you part of the way back, that return, reversal, to, to where you came from. Because I think Nadan is, I don't like to put it as a series of techniques, but in the end it does kind of come to that, where you get back to the source that gave you life in the first place. Meaning that you then have good health, long life, you're serene, <laughs> you're able to cope, you're quick, quick-witted, and retain the agility of a child. All of these are part of what sounds grand, but I'm going to call it anyway, the true master <laughs> actually is. It's, it's a quality of, of being, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. So I'm sorry, that was a very long sentence, because <laughs> you asked for some kind of example in Nadan. And the microcosmic orbit is something a lot of people have heard about, even if they've never experienced it. And you can immediately see that these are massively important focus points, maybe holes, on the body, which are also acupuncture points. And beyond that, they are channels. They are conduits. Yeah. You were just talking about the red and the do not as separate channels. Exactly. They're two, two in one and one in two, as Li Shizhen says. But as a unified whole. Exactly. Beyond their complementary, so-called opposites, it's gone from parts to whole. Absolutely. And that, that's a nice and very important aspect of restoring the whole. And you've immediately, you're no longer thinking in yin-yang. You've gone beyond the dual. You were talking about that circle. It also invites us out of duality. Yeah. And into, I don't think I have quite the right word, a, sen a sense of unity and like maybe somewhere permeating in there, the mortar between the bricks is your ooh, is your nothingness, your emptiness. 
The journey to emptiness is, is very interesting, I think, because it's, and this is another part of the Nedan training, using the three Dantian. So the lower Dantian is the Jing, the middle Dantian is the Qi, the upper Dantian is the Shen, and beyond that is the Tao, or maybe the Wu. <laughs> Hard to say when you can't say. Well, quite. That's the first sentence of the Tao Te Ching, isn't it? I can't remember it, but it's something like, he who knows does not say, or he who speaks is... You, you know it. Tao ke Tao, Fei Chang Tao. Exactly. The Tao you can speak, that ain't it. If you can say it, that ain't it. <laughs> it's very frustrating as a human. My own feeling is that Lao Tzu stopped there, but his publisher said, well, we can't sell this as a book. That's not a book. <laughs> you promised me 80 chapters, dude. Get writing. That's all you need. And he was right, of course. So you were used a really evocative term. The journey to emptiness is through the three Dantian. It's emptiness, but it's the emptiness from which the whole of life comes. You know, we, we have to be careful in the same way we were careful with the word fullness. You know, is it just crammed f so full that there's, you know, nothing can breathe? And is emptiness, we usually think of that, especially in Chinese medicine, as a, a dearth, you know, something lacking. This wu, emptiness, is, for lack of a better term, it's the void from which all life comes. It's a very potent emptiness. And that that's the journey back to what gave us birth in the first place. So it's, it's a return home. Nadan is a journey home. Even, you know, however difficult the practice is, however complex, however the organs are involved, it, it, it's a journey back to where material came from. And, and that may be a problem in integrative medicine because that Wu is really the basis of Chinese medicine beyond yin-yang to the Tai Chi and beyond the Tai Chi to the Wu Chi, which is the infinite, I think would be the best Western term. And I don't think that's a problem actually for physicists. In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five element and six chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jingwell points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of Qi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 
2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. I think physicists a hundred years ago put their finger on this. I think they were seeing it. Yeah. I, I do. Where I think it gets a little tricky for us in our modern moment, especially as we live and work in the world and have to make a living and connect with and communicate with other people and uh, make our way in this world of form and relationships. Uh, that's the world of Xing. That's the world of form. And conventional medicine, really good at Xing. Like, really good at it. But it has limitations. It has limitations. Well, everything has limitations. That's, there's that. What I think I'm, I'm beginning to see here is that at its root, conventional medicine is a medicine of Xing. And at its root, Chinese medicine, East Asian medicine, Oriental medicine, whatever you want to call whatever we're calling it this week, its root is Wu. I think maybe the root is Wu, but we have to remember, you know, Chinese herbs... Yeah, that's the most fantastic understanding of, of form and forms. I don't think the Chinese, I'm not sure that they are going only for Wu. <laughs> you know, the, the world is made up of Wu and Yo. <laughs> <laughs> there is having as well as not having. And I just think that their understanding of herbs, and which is really material, it is just material. It is just substance. It's just as complex in its own way as uh, Western pharmaceuticals, even though they may be, here we go, artificial. <laughs> Synthesized. Synthesized, yeah. But I, th I think there's a very interesting and fruitful discussion to be had. I think in my fear of the integrative medicine model is if Chinese medicine, maybe even all the so-called alternative methods, are slid in under an operative Western system. I don't think that works. Because homeopathy, for example, is also in a way a medicine of Wu with the potencies and is not understood and is abused. Yeah, I didn't mean to suggest, although I think I did, that our medicine is based on ooze, based on no form. Okay. Maybe I, I sorry, I reacted. Well, no, 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 no. I, I, I think we're, we're puzzling this out, and part of the way that I puzzle things out is I say something, and then I see where I've missed the mark. So in some ways, our medicine at its base is ooze. Great. That's an aspect and a thing to look at. But look, I got this lovely cup here, and it's got this empty space inside. But the thing that makes the cup really useful and brings it to life is when it's got coffee in it. So I've got the emptiness with the fullness together, much in the way that I think you were just talking about the do and the zhen. And we can look at them separately and they, they have functions separately and, and, and there are ways that we might even want to work with them separately. There's a reality to be seen there. And then there's also the unity 
and that gives you a, a, a yet another perspective. I'm not saying there's only one perspective. It, it, it seems like, well, is it the Dallas who say it's turtles all the way down? You know, we have all these interlocking, interpenetrating levels of things that work together. I know we're getting a little off in the weeds here. But, but well, I think these are important questions. And, and what is nothing anyway? No, but, you know, can you define nothing? Or is it just the absence of everything? I, I find it very hard for my conceptual mind to grasp nothing. Exactly. So maybe we can ground this in the alchemy of the organs. Let's ground this into the organs. Tell us a little more about alchemy of the organs. It's taken us a while to come round to this. Yeah. Well, the organs is another set of things. I mean, th there are two things we've, we've looked at. We've looked at the microcosmic orbit, let's call it that. And then we looked a bit briefly at uh, Jing transforming into Qi, transforming into Shen, transforming into Tao or Wu. That's a part of Nedan. <laughs> and then you have the cauldron of the organs, because they are sometimes put represented within a cauldron, a bit like a cooking pot. And you have the heart on the top, the kidneys below, and the liver and lung at the sides. And very importantly, the spleen and the yi, attention, intention, <laughs> in the middle, which is also the five elements, fire with water, metal, wooden metal, and the earth. And in Nadan, I think another aspect, a bit like the Ren and the Du are one, a two in one that is one. Yeah, you can divide it up and say one is yin and one's yang, but you can do the same in, the, in a day. There's midday and there's midnight, but they're both parts of the day. <laughs> and I think that this is this unitative process of Nadan, which is it's in itself healing because you're always going back to the root, back to the source, back to unity, and away from multiplicity. So within the organs, heart and kidney are fire and water, li and kan, and the green dragon of the eastern sea is what in Chinese medicine we call the liver. And the white tiger of the Western mountains is what in Chinese medicine we call the lungs. And this is also very typical that you have this um, coded language, very typical of alchemy. So it's not the heart, but the red bird, Junyao. It's not the kidneys, but the dark two-headed stag or deer. And these are expressed as the divinity of the heart is the red bird. <laughs> the shen, the divinity of the kidneys, is a dark shuan, meaning coming from the primal, original darkness, two-headed, 
idea. You know, so, so suddenly we are into the world of the imagination. And the phoenix is a multicolored phoenix with outstretched wings. You know, we are far from learning about spleen chi shu. <laughs> and the imaginative people in the class are going, yeah, this is what I came for. <laughs> and the perhaps more scientific people are saying, but when are we going to learn the syndromes? And I think, you know, there are people who are more imaginative and people who are more exact. I'm not saying that all imaginative people are not exact, but let's put those two out there. Anyway, the, the organs are a little bit like we had from Jing to Qi to Shen to Dao. We have, how do you unify the heart and the kidney? How do you unify the liver and the lungs? The liver is always moving and moving upward. The lung is always moving and moving downward. To put it most simply, the three hun, reaching for the immaterial, for sure. They're trying to get, or not trying to get, but they can leave the body. The seven po cannot leave the body and they will die with the body because they are what keep the body alive, opening and closing the little doors, sometimes linked to the seven doors on the digestive tract. So they're very, very different. Liver and lung are really different, just like east and west is different, or spring and autumn. Just like Ren and Du are different, and a, and a unity. Exactly, but they are a unity. You can't have a spring without an autumn, or if you do, it's not life as we know it. And the same way, you cannot have midwinter without midsummer. You cannot have midnight without noon. And this is what I kind of love about the Nadan people, <laughs> because they're, they're trying to see beyond material to the unity that created it. And the Nadan journey is the journey back. It, it's often called the, the path of reversal, to, to follow your steps back to where you came from, which doesn't die, which is why there's a lot of talk, not only about long life, but immortality, which is another no-no word in many ways. You know, it seems to me that I mean, I think that word immortality is very, like many Dallas things, it's, it's slippery, it's tricky. Does it mean live forever in your current conglomeration of thought and, uh, and construct and concept? Or is it, like you were saying, stepping back, back, back to something more essential that's always there? We come out of it, we go into it. It's kind of beyond life as well as the inherent center of life. The inherent center of life, but like ego and construct crumbles to dust in its presence, doesn't it? Absolutely. That's where you need a Nadan um, graduate. <laughs> a graduate. I think you should put that out on your, uh, having talked to Peter Firebrace, <laughs> you're now in search of a Nadan graduate. There, there, there will be people out there. Of course they will. Yes, I don't think they advertise themselves as such. They may feel the time has come. 
<laughs> we don't know. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> I think the concepts of Nadan, never mind whether you're doing the steps and stages or not, I think they are uplifting for me. For me, I'm just talking for myself. They're uplifting and they resolve disunity for me. Even if I can't understand exactly what they're talking about in the text, and the texts are difficult to read, whether you're Chinese or not. It, it's a coded language, and sometimes they use you know lead for the kidney and mercury for the heart, for, for example. There's a whole world of its own in there. That's interesting. Lead and mercury, I, I just take the image of those two. Uh -huh. And with lead, it's, you know, it's heavy, it's dull, it's, you know, very of the earth. And with mercury, also known as quicksilver, it looks a lot like lead, but it's, it, it's hanlinghua, right? It's very, it's lively and it reflects and it moves and it's, it's in constant motion. It's the opposite of lead. And it's within cinnabar. Cinnabar is mercury sulfide. But we're not really eating cinnabar. We're... No. No, no. I mean, this, this is, I think, where it gets really tricky. But that's why done if you're eating something. That, yes, that's why done. And the nadon is being able to go into those images and, and that imaginal world. Yeah, but it, the, the requirement for nadon is such a level of, it's the wrong word, but I'll use it anyway, self-control or self-guiding. I mean, the heart is central to all of this, which is interesting. And the heart in the, um, there's a picture, that there are two famous Nadan pictures. <laughs> One is the inner landscape, uh, Neijing 2. I don't know if you know it, that's difficult about a podcast. <laughs> and the other is the, uh, the cultivation of authenticity. These are two Taoist maps which are written out because they're pictures on the back stones of the Baiyun Guan, the White Cloud Temple in Beijing. It, it has, that temple has Sun Tzu Miao's very famous quote inscribed in stone on it. Okay, what does it say? I don't remember it, but you know, I mean, it, it, you know, it's the famous thing about how to be a doctor and how you should behave and the people that you see and, and treat folks like your family and yeah, that, that's, that's also there. It's written in stone. Yeah. Well, that's the, kind of this has been the center of Taoism. There are different Taoist sects, there's north, there's south, but that has been a center of Taoism for, since Genghis Khan, because Genghis Khan gave the abbot the temple and the power to spread the word, as it were. And these two pictures the inner landscape picture and the one to cultivate authenticity are, are there. And they're kind of probably early 19th century, but they are part of the whole development of Nadan, which probably started about the second century AD with the first book. And there have been different books, a bit like there have been in Chinese medicine. There are also Nadan books important ones. So it, it's a living tradition. 
there are practitioners, if you like, even though we, if we don't know their names and there's not, there's not a central registry, as far as I know, of Nadan practitioners. <laughs> the registry of Nadan practitioners is not the registry of Nadan. Peter, this sounds like Fight Club. Yeah. But I think it's an actually either an essential part or an essential, is the word corollary? Is that the right word there? I don't know, but I like it. <laughs> to Chinese medicine. And I think the fact that Sun Tzu Miao was a practitioner and Li Shizhen in the what was it, 16th century was either a practitioner because he quotes Zhang Baoduan's book on internal alchemy in his book on the eight extraordinary meridians, which is quite interesting because that is at, at a deep level of it's not the 12 meridians, it's the eight extraordinary meridians. And I think the fact that these two primary source teachers were interested in Nadan shows it's... Um, it's a hint. It's more than a hint. I think it's really more than a hint. And there is a nice uh, translation of the book by Miki Shima and Charles Chase. Yes, the exposition of the eight extras. Exactly. Yeah, which is about 10 years ago, I think. And they do a very nice um, explanation of Nadan. I think for acupuncturists who want to get into it more, that is a very nice book because it will relate into their understanding of the eight extraordinary meridians. I, I can't think of any book that I know of which talks about Nadan and Chinese medicine. There are, there are some good uh, authors on Nadan. Which, which I can give you or I can, we can put at the end if, if people want to go further. Yes, well, we can send those to me. I will make sure they get on the show notes page. Yeah, they're very good in French, actually. I'm lucky I, I speak and understand and can read French. Yes, well, we're, we're Americanskis for the most part over here, so English would be helpful. Some of those books have been translated into English, but there, there are some good books. Yeah, yeah. Give us, send us your library. I'll make sure it's on the show notes page. I'll put just uh, just a few key key books and a key website. Yeah, because it's you know people can certainly go further on their own. They can certainly go further on their own. And I'm very curious about this cultivation of authenticity that you're talking about. It's the first time I heard you say it earlier in the conversation. You used the the phrase "full human." to become a full human. We were kind of joking about fullness and emptiness and at, at that moment. But the character for full human, I think, you might be thinking this, in Chinese is jianren, right? Like authentic, genuine person. Authentic person. It's exactly that character. Yes, exactly that character. It means genuine, authentic. Exactly. Uh, and so well, cultivation of authenticity, that's, that sounds like a pretty good place to start as well. Absolutely. It's, it's a fantastic picture. There is one fantastic book. It, it's only in French. <laughs> so you either have to know Chinese or, or French. It's Catherine Desper, who is very good on this subject. And there's another French author, Isabelle Robinet, who wrote a lot about um, internal alchemy. Because, it, you know, it's, it's at least 2,000 years old now with books that came in a way, the secret, 
Secret of the Golden Flower is also one of those books. This is the Wilhelm... Yes, although Cleary, Thomas Cleary, did an, a, a translation of it because he said that they were working from not a good source and stuff. But, but yeah, yeah, it's Wilhelm's. That's right. I had a copy of that book years ago. I remember coming across it. It was an old book when I found it. And I, I was like, ooh, Secret of the Golden Flower. I must have been in my early 20s. Like, Secret of the Golden Flower. Ooh, I got to buy this. And I did. It was on my bookshelf. I would pick it up and pull it out and attempt to read it. And Peter, it never, ever, ever made sense. And at a certain point, I was getting rid of a lot of things because I was actually leaving the country. And I, I remember picking that book up and looking at it and going, no, I'm passing you on because I had, whenever I picked it up, I so wanted to try to understand it. And I never, ever could. So maybe Cleary will help me. Or, or maybe there's other ways in, maybe there's, I don't know, I'm going to ask you, because you're a novice. You know, could you get in through poetry? Can you get in through music? Can you get in through meditation? I'm an experienced novice. You're an experienced novice. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm looking for. I'm a novice novice. I need an experienced novice. I've been a novice for a long time. <laughs> So are there are there other ways in besides books? I mean, is there meditation? The only other aspect, I think, if because I think it's important if people find this interesting, if they would like to pursue it further, I, I will give you the a few books that they and a website that they can follow. But I think also that a lot of these aspects already in Tai Chi, they're already in Qigong because it's part of that same tradition, really. Yeah, there you go. You just said it. Maybe that's enough. <laughs> it's probably enough. Okay, so so let me ask this. You know, beyond the books and, and, the, and the images, are there other ways in? I mean, do people get in through music or poetry or other kinds of movement? What are... Music, I have no idea. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I just don't know. Poetry, well, that's poetry is an interesting one because a lot of these books are written in poems, but A, they're in Chinese. <laughs> Never mind the fact that they're in poems. <laughs> I have myself written something, which I will share with you. Uh, this is part, don't panic if you hate poems. It's only a one and a half minutes. <laughs> or you could... Cut it off now. <laughs> this is part of something I wrote. Um, it's actually 2014, so nine years ago. Uh, and this is called The Inner Alchemy Vision of the Body. Not a very poetic title. And I'm going to read you just half of the poem. Because I think it talks about some of these aspects that we've already been through. With some of the Chinese names. So, here we go. This is the second half of the poem. Practicing this medicine needs more than knowledge and rote learning. It's a journey, unfolding understanding and discerning. From your own light to the starlight, guard the three treasures, Jing, Qi, Shen. Open the three gates, San Guan. 
irrigate the three elixir fields, San Dantian. Feel the cycle of Xiao Zhou Tian, the lesser heavenly circle, where the Dumai and the Renmai flow, from Huiyin, Ren One, through Mingmen, Du Four, Feng Fu, Du Sixteen, to Du Twenty, Bai Hui, Yin Tang, to Tanjong, Ren Seventeen, and Guan Yuan, Ren Four. Feel the two-in-one interplay. Use the six organs. They're what you need to get the three flowers blooming from seed. Xuan Lu, the dark deer of the kidneys. Junyao, the red bird of the heart. Kan and Li, fire and water, without which there is no start. Feng, the spleen's multicolored phoenix. Bai Hu, the lung's white tiger. Shi Gui, the gallbladder's snake and tortoise. And Qing Long, the green dragon of the liver. Mountain, field, river, sea. Put them all in the pot, in unity. All the stars, the moon and sun. Know the many, but make them one. Welcome to Chinese Medicine 101. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, it is. It, 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 there's our roots. But that's what's interesting, I think, uh, about this. You know, th these are people who are really searching for the roots of life. And it is definitely a part of uh, healing and wholeness, which I think is why there is this... Um, a unified relationship between Chinese medicine and internal alchemy. It, it, it's part of the same thinking. It's, yeah, it's part of the same practice. Even if no one's heard of it. <laughs> As with so many paths that are worth putting your feet on, you're not likely to get all the way to the end. Yeah. It makes for a good journey, though. Makes for worthwhile, transverse through, uh, you know, from birth to death. Absolutely, and I think it's, um, in in a sense, I think it's expansive because it's it's not a, it's not a tying down into material. It's it's a freeing up from material, which I think anyone interested in mindfulness <laughs> would be interested in. You know, it is the release of the heart from the kind of jumpy monkey uh, wishes and wants and the um, galloping disordered <laughs> rolling of the mind. So I think it's uh, it's an attempt at healing at the at the deepest level while retaining the reality of life without denying it. <laughs> well that is a potent invitation and probably a great place to put a bookmark in it for today. It's a good place to leave it.
So Peter Firebrace, thank you so much for your time in this. Uh, My pleasure. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for asking me. Yeah. It's nice to hang out with other, with other novices. Quite. <laughs> seems the experiences that are difficult to speak directly about do something curious with our perception. In a way, lead it inward and at the same time, send it outward. But in both instances, language falls away into sensation. Sometimes there is perception without comment, something of what perhaps Peter was pointing at when speaking of source So often in our daily lives, it seems the impulse is to nail things down, make a list, and get things accomplished. And there is most certainly a place for that. That being said, this other side of noticing the unity within seeming opposites, that takes an active shift of perception. I so appreciated Peter's invitation to practice not mindfulness, but mind emptiness. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community.